There's a new tug of war in the gold market. The Federal Reserve has said that they're not ready to raise interest rates anytime soon, at least for the next three years. However, the central bank is also very complacent on the bond market sell-off that we're seeing, which is pushing bond yields higher. However, some good news, there is a bit of a breaking point. Gold prices are ending the week with a 1% gain, even as bond yields push to a 14-month high. Hello, I'm Niels Christensen. Welcome to the Kitco News Roundtable. Joining me this week is uh, Kitco correspondent Paul Harris. Hey, good afternoon. Michael McRae. He's uh, the regular host, but he's uh, taking a well-earned vacation. And this week, I'm really happy to introduce, looking forward to this conversation to talk about gold and silver, is Philip Baker, CEO of Hecla Mining, the largest uh, silver producer in the U.S. Phil, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about Hecla, what you do, and where you do it. Thanks, Neil. Glad to, to be here. Um, you know, Hecla is, as you said, the largest producer of silver in the United States. We, in fact, produce a third of all the silver that's produced in the U.S. And we do it from two mines that are, um, well, one of them, Greens Creek, is actually the largest silver mine in the world in terms of metal endowment. Uh, and they're low cost, the two mines, and very long-lived assets. Uh, we also have um, a mine in Quebec, and we have properties in uh, in Mexico. Um, you know, being in the U.S. is, in fact, uh, we think an advantage in this world of ESG, uh, where where people are quite concerned about environment and and the uh, the support of workers. And you think about that environment of of, of being in the U.S., you actually have the best environment for. Uh, uh, for taking care of the environment and for protecting workers. Um, the three mines that we have, Greens Creek is a unique mine that's been around for 30 years. Uh, it has produced in its history 220 million ounces of silver, 1.6 million ounces of, of gold, uh, 4 billion pounds of uh, zinc and lead. Uh, it's generated, since we've been the operator since 2008, it's generated about $1.7 billion of free cash flow. And just this past year, $160 million of free cash. We also have our Lucky Friday mine in Idaho. It's been in existence for 75 years, uh, and it's on a path of uh, in increasing its production dramatically. As we go deeper, the grade goes up. So we just produce more ounces at the same cost, and we're looking at ways of actually increasing the throughput. And our Casa Berardi mine in Quebec has been a, a good performer for us that we see ways of, of improving. Um, this is all supporting our exploration and development programs, and we think we have, uh, over the next 10 years, maybe up to seven properties that could go into production. I'm actually I'm really looking forward to to talking you know gold versus silver with you. First, we should get a little bit into the gold market. It has been an interesting week for the precious metal. Uh, we saw uh, prices rise to nearly a, a three week high this week after the Federal Reserve uh, basically left their monetary policy, their extremely loose monetary policy unchanged. Uh, they signaled that they're not going to be raising rates anytime before. Uh, 2024. However, during his press conference, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell was pretty um, laissez-faire on bond yields. You know, he doesn't see he he sees financial conditions as as fairly loose. There's no tightening. 
Um, and that's that's given the, the bond market the signal that, you know, he's comfortable with with interest rates moving higher. So and this is what we're seeing in, in, in the gold market. However, what what's really interesting is um, gold prices are ending the week with a one percent gain, uh, even when bond yields have pushed to above uh, 1.7%. I think they hit a high of 1.75%. Uh, so, I mean, we're just seeing this, this massive rally in, in bond yields. So this idea that, that bond yields are capping out according to, you know, people that I've been talking to, um, you know, bond yields are, are, are pretty much, you know, they may, they may have room to go higher, maybe 2%, but at some point there's going to be a cap. And, you know, this is why we're seeing sort of, you know, this, this gold market, uh, rising in the face of of this this massive bond market sell off, um, you know, Paul, what what have you been looking at the the price and 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 Phil, I'd love to get your thoughts on on you know how the movement, the price action in the precious metals markets is you know affecting your production and your operations. I guess two of the things that um, I've been sort of looking at or seeing you know, in recent weeks, we've been we've spoken to people and. When gold fell under seventeen hundred, you know, a lot of people think that that's going to be the bottom, and uh, you know, the, the and it's going to be building from there. Um, this week, I've been looking at ETF inventories, and, and they they continue to sell off. Uh, we're back to sort of levels from you know a few months ago, so um, it, it's still a bit uncertain, I think. True, true. I I want to I want to see I want to see prices get above. 1750. Phil, I also wanted to bring you into this conversation, you know, this this idea of, of gold and, and silver, you know, we're seeing gold rally, but we're seeing silver sort of break away and, and decouple from gold. Last year, the gold silver ratio hit uh, an all time high around 125. Now it's back down to historical averages. Is there more potential for silver in this market, do you think? Yeah, look, it's, silver is in a unique position that it's never been in before. Um, you know, and it's not the pandemic, and it's not even the fiscal and monetary stimulus that we've had. Um, while those are unique things in the course of history, 5,000 years of history for silver, what we have today, we've never had before. And what that is, is this um, need for silver to decarbonize our, our economy. Um, this use of silver uh, as, uh, as the, the real driver, as one of the real drivers for electric vehicles. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've gone to calling silver the techno metal. And, and it's, it really is a unique metal. It has characteristics that no other metal has. Um, you know, you go back in time and um, in the 1980, 1985, that was roughly the year I started in the mining business. And we had a half a billion ounces of silver that were consumed every year. And a third of that was photographic. Um, since that time, photographic demand has completely disappeared. The total demand for silver is over a billion ounces. Um, and what that's primarily made up of is applications that didn't exist in 1985. And those applications are, are growing. So your photovoltaic and electric vehicle demand is now around 175 million ounces. And I would expect it and other sort of applications that allow this techno metal to do its thing 
will cause us to go from about 600 million ounces of demand, physical demand, to, you know, over the course of the next uh, 20 years to maybe it's a million, a billion ounces of, of demand. So, yes, it's there's a decoupling that's happening from gold. You know, there'll always be this relationship, but this change in the use of silver is uh, is unlike anything that we've seen before. So that's so similar supply. to the other. Sorry, that's similar to the other battery metals, and it's really getting that 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 big push, that big demand push coming or big demand pull coming along. That's exactly right, and and you have policies by governments that are enhancing it, and this this um, you know the, the Biden administration two weeks ago came out with an executive order. Um, that built on actually the Trump administration. It was not in conflict with what the Trump administration did. So, so there, they, there is going to be lots of support for seeing more silver produced as well as copper in, uh, in our economy and the U.S. economy. So we've seen, speaking about copper, um, that, that market has a major supply deficit. Uh, it's going to grow every year. Does... So does demand outstrip supply in the silver market? Do you think you know will will supply keep up with with all of this techno metal demand? So it's interesting if you, if you think about the exploration um, discussions that you guys have with with companies um, over the course of the last twenty years. How much of it was around silver? Not not a lot. You've had these sort of outliers, so there has not been the silver exploration um, that's been uh, been done to um, sort of build the base of silver mines to be able to meet the demand requirements e easily. So it's it's going to be a real challenge for our industry. And if you look at the new mines that have come into existence, they generally have been relatively small. You're talking about mines that are three, four, five million ounces. Uh, against a demand of a billion ounces. So they're not really moving the, the needle. I think that's a, a very good comment, uh, Phil, because you know over the last five years or so, the only exploration plays really have been MagSilver and perhaps a little bit more recently Silvercrest. And then last year, when the precious metals prices, including silver, started moving up, suddenly everybody's picking up uh, ex silver exploration projects in Mexico. Um, and they're just you know starting to coming to the limelight. Yeah, that's right. And it, it takes time for these things to develop. And the number of, of, of these mines that are of size are, is very, very small. Uh, so lots, of, uh, lots of, of, of demand that is going to push more. There's going to be more. I mean, there's plenty of silver to be discovered. I have no doubt about that. But good quality silver, silver that's going to generate a return, not a lot of that. In, in, in terms of the, the, the structure of the, the silver industry, um, you know, you, you mentioned you've got seven projects or properties that you could potentially bring into production over the next 10 years. So it perhaps doesn't uh, apply so much to Heckler, but um, primary silver deposits, they're, they're relatively rare. There's not a lot of uh, new primary silver deposits being explored. Um, so is it sort of byproduct silver production that's really going to sort of pick up the slack as the demand grows? It's, that's always been the case. Silver is, a, is rarely a metal that uh, is produced on its own. It's usually in conjunction with something else. And because of the prices that we've had for silver, it's been considered the byproduct. 
Now, whether that will continue well into the future depends on those supply-demand fundamentals, but uh, uh, well, well, that's, that, that's how that production. Well, that that production outlook, though. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of zinc projects. We haven't seen a lot of lead projects. You know, which is you know, silver is usually right. the byproduct of those. So, I mean, is it still is the even though silver is a byproduct, is is the picture still the same in that like we just haven't seen a lot of mine supply come into the markets? Right. There, there, there's not a lot of new lead and zinc mines that, uh, you know, there's not been a lot of exploration that's been put to, uh, to those metals either. So, so, you know, no matter how you look at it, you've got a situation where there's this ever increasing demand for silver because of its characteristics and this, this fundamental um, shortfall in the groundwork being laid to have new mines of the, of the future of size. Now that you know that you get to the right price and that solves it, itself. Well, I suppose, yeah, there, there could time. be a lot of um, gold deposits that have silver that isn't produced, but when the price gets high enough, it makes it worthwhile for to put out the silver. No, they're producing. If they've got the silver, they're producing it with the gold because the the, the they, they are intertwined. Um, what the reality is, there's just not that much. So it's interesting when you look at the U.S. production of silver. I, this surprised me. When you look at that, you see that Hecla produces a third. The next largest producer is Tech with Red Dog. They're mine in Alaska. The the next after that is Core at, at about three million ounces with their Rochester mine. And then you have you don't even have the Nevada gold mines or or any of those larger producers in the top five, which is really surprised me. And if they if they were if the ore bodies had the silver, they would be producing. So what is the price you think? Like, you know, gold miners, I mean, I think, you know, they like 1600, obviously. I mean, and they've had, you know, fantastic year. Um, Last year, they saw all time highs. Do we see that in silver? And, you know, would that spur on does it does it need to get up to $50 an ounce to spur on this? this new production or, you know, is, is 26, 28, 30 sort of the magic number to bring on new production? You know, it's hard, it's hard to say because it's, it has to get discovered first and, and that hasn't happened. Um, so, so I couldn't tell you what price you need for, for that to occur. What I can say is that it's going to take time for that to happen. And in the meantime, as the demand for silver increases it seems to me and it's gonna it's gonna it, 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 the demand happens not just for the those um, industrial purposes not just for decarbonizing and not just for for the electric vehicles it also happens because people want silver to, to hold as a store of value but um, you know it's it's going to take some time for the miners to catch up with what that demand is likely to be over the course of the next 20 years. We, we, you know, we, we're coming out of the past year has been very much COVID-19 dominated. And so, you know, populations in general are more aware of, um, you know, their own health and public health and things like that, which is, you know, given a boost to copper because that's a, an antimicrobial and silver's got antimicrobial uh, properties as well. So is that another growth uh, sector for silver as well? Yeah, absolutely, and, and and but but I think what's more significant is 
the demand for silver um, by countries like Canada, um, the U.S., where they want more of their production to come, you know, for all the metals to come come domestically, rather than having to rely upon, rely upon a supply chain that goes into countries that are not as stable or are are. Uh, adverse. Um, a couple of the, the silver juniors I've spoken to, they're sort of generally talking about a, um, a minimum um, investment incentive price of around sort of twenty twenty two dollars per ounce of silver. You know, a, a solid uh, for a period of time to, for them to you know, bring new production in. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not surprised. That in our case, we're different in that we have infrastructure in place, and so the cap the incremental capital requirements that we have are quite small. So so you take our Lucky Friday mine, um, it's been around for 75 years. As we go deeper, that mine's grade increases. Um, and so we go from 2019 of, because the mine had been on strike before, before 2020, 2019, we were at 675,000 ounces of production. 2020, we were at 2 million. This year will be at three and a half. Next uh, two years from now, we'll be at five million ounces. So, you know, almost a 10 time increase over where we were in 2019. But then if we can, we have infrastructure that will support about 40% more tons, 40% more production. And if we can figure out how to mine the seismicity that the mine has, that be able to control that, we can actually increase the the production with almost no incremental capital. So there's very few of those types of opportunities. So you're right, people are going to require some price. Don't know what that is. Each each mine will be different. Each property will be different. But in our case, we we can we can can have that incremental increase in production at even significantly lower prices than where we are today. Um, I wanted to ask about, you know, like, uh, uh, you, you know, your major producer, um, you're based in Idaho. Um, what's and talking about, you know, all of this, this critical domestic supply, um, how has it been operating in Idaho? I mean, what, what hurdles do you face or, or what uh, benefits do you see from, from being a, a domestic producer? Well, we've been in Idaho now 130 years. This is our 130th anniversary. Congratulations. And so I can tell you. So I can tell you it's a great place to operate. Um, now, you know, in fairness, we, we have infrastructure that's in place. And so we've not had to deal with, and, and we're in, on state ground. We're not on federal ground. So we don't have to deal with issues that others might have to deal with as they advance their their projects but it is a uh, it is a place that supports the mining industry um, and that's the that's part of the reason we're we're here um, you know the i think the outlook is uh, is tremendous and you know but it's not not just idaho it's it's um, you know we're in montana as well we have um, we have a project that is 50 miles north of the Lucky Friday that we uh, we think we could be in production ten years from now, and it's a it's a huge asset um, with lots of copper. Looking at uh, your your uh, production pipeline, 
you know, what kind of exploration do you see specifically um, at uh, Lucky Friday? Really, we don't do much exploration at the Lucky Friday. We have in front of us a 30 year, probably 30 years of ore in front of us. Now, we'll have to go in and do some definition drilling to move it from uh, an inferred category into a proven and probable. So, so we're not doing much exploration there. What we are doing at the Lucky Friday is figuring out how to mine uh, at a higher rate. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, the, the mine is, is, is seismically active uh, and has been for its whole existence. So it's something we're familiar with and how to deal with, but we're looking at two new mining methods that would actually take that production, uh, the tonnage that we mine up about 40%. If we're successful at doing that, then you'll see this mine go from 5 million ounces of silver production to 7 million ounces and with no significant incremental cost to uh, to get those uh, those ounces so so that's the story at the lucky friday we do have though a major exploration program across the company um you know at each one of our mines greens creek will be doing exploration from surface we haven't done that for the last uh, couple of years last year primarily because of of covid uh, as well as setting up platforms to continue to drill underground to extend that mine life and uh, you know, be able to continue to see that mine do what it's done for the last 30 years. It's quite a, an amazing, amazing mine with the productivity that it has and the cash flow generation that it, that it has. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing major exploration in Nevada um, and, and every place that we're exploring it's high grade mineralization um, where it's a gold asset. The grade is so it might as, for example, the historic grade of that property is 0.81 ounces per ton. That's the sort of mineralization that we're following up on. Um, you know, Hivahasco there in Quebec is a is a is a property that we'll be exploring in 2018. We our last hold was eight tenths of an ounce. Um, we're, by the way, I apologize for being in ounces rather than grams. Like 24, 25 <laughs> grams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you get the idea. Um, we're, we're, uh, so we're following up high grade mineralization everywhere. Mexico, the same, same thing. Everywhere that we're, we're doing this exploration, it's high grade, which, you know, suggests that we also have infrastructure in place, but we also are talking about relatively small tonnage, high grade mineralization, low capital, high, high return sort of assets. And that's been part of our strategy. Um, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. We do actually have to highlight other news. Um, <laughs> let's look at uh, you know the, the other the all of the all of the other news affecting the uh, the mining sector. But first, it's kind of an Idaho themed week as we acknowledge our sponsor of the uh, roundtable discussion, uh, Revival Gold. They're a growth focused gold exploration development company which is advancing its Bear Track Arnett Gold project in Idaho. Beartrack Arnett is the largest past producing gold mine in the state, hosting a multi-million ounce resource. The project benefits from existing infrastructure, including roads, power lines, and existing ADR processing facility. The preliminary plans are for a restart of open pit heap leach operations, which will produce 72,000 ounces of gold 
uh, per year. The all-in sustaining costs are around $1,057 per ounce. The, leap, the, the leach operation is to be followed by a second phase mill operation and much larger scale production. The CEO is Hugh Agro. He has several years of experience uh, with stints at Kinross and Placidome. He's also been a past participant of the round table. To learn more, visit Revival Gold website. And we thank the team at Revival for their support for uh, the round table discussion. Paul, a lot of activity in M&A this week. Yes, um, I, I want to sort of just be cheeky and continue a trend and obviously tilting our hat to our sponsor. Um, Revival Gold has been putting out quite a bit of news recently, and the latest bit of news that they appointed Lisa I think Ross this is, as vice president. This is president the third week we've highlighted news and, from them. Is this <laughs> and CFO? Um, she was formerly director of finance at Kirkland Lake Gold. Um, I thought it'd just be cheeky there. And um, yes, a lot of M and A and strategic investments this week. Uh, perhaps top of the pile, um, Evolution Mining offered to buy Battle North Gold. It's very much in the Red Lake district of Ontario, Canada. Evolution offered a 46 premium as it made a 343 million Canadian all-cash offer to buy Battle North Gold to obtain the Bateman project. Um, Battle North was formerly called Rubicon Minerals and Bateman was formerly called Phoenix. Um, and Bateman has a reserve of uh, some sort of 635,000 ounces of gold at about uh, three and a half grams per tonne. Um, another big Deal announced this week. Grand Columbia made a $358 million Canadian bid for Goldex mining. Um, Goldex has the Toro Peru gold development project in Guyana. Um, Grand Columbia already owns 18% of, um, of Goldex, and so it will pay $315 million for the remaining shares, um, which implies a 39% premium. Um, last year, Grand Columbia tried to do a three way tie in including Goldex and Guyana Goldfields. Um, in terms of, uh, there was a couple of interesting strategic investments. One was announced just last night. New Gold will take a 15% stake in Heart Gold for $24.8 million Canadian. Um, so that'll get a 14.9% stake in the junior. Um, Heart Gold is currently expanding its sugar zone uh, operation in Ontario from about 800 tons a day to about 1,200 tons a day, which will eventually increase production to around 100,000 ounces a year. And I think for me, one of the significant things about this announcement is um, New Gold's been working over the recent years to overcome a lot of difficulties it had with its Rainy River mine in Ontario. And through that process and to capitalize the company, it had to sell a lot of assets. And so now it's, it's turned the corner and it's now buying into assets again. So that looks very positive. And um, another one that perhaps has a, a more of a silver angle to it, Nexa, Nexa, Nexa Resources is to buy an 8.8% stake in Tinker Resources in Peru. Um, Tinker's a, a junior explorer with the Ayahuilca project um, in the, 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 the zinc district of Peru. Um, Nexa is the fifth largest zinc producer in the world. Um, Ayahuilca is pretty much halfway between Nexa's Porvenir mine and its Hilarion project. Um, earlier in the week, Tinker announced a drill intercept of 40 meters grading 8.8% zinc and 12 grams per ton silver. So a very busy week for M&A and strategic investments. I was, was going to say, it feels like the mining sector has gotten over this, this COVID um, dearth of, of M&A activity. I mean, Phil, what do you think, you know, looking at the industry, do you see uh, 
mergers and acquisitions heating up, you know, going as we go forward. Yeah, I think that's probably likely because you've got lots of companies that um, um, don't have long mine lives and they need to do do things. They don't have uh, the ability to replace their reserves and resources, so they need to do those transactions. So um, I, I think you'll you'll certainly see more of that. And Paul, what other headlines in the uh, in the mining sector have you been uh, watching? What what's piqued your interest this week? Well, there's been uh, quite a, a lot of good exploration results. Um, just to highlight some, Radisson Mining Resources announced the continued expansion of Trend Number Two area at its O'Brien project in Quebec, in Canada. Um, drilling has extended the high-grade zone to more than 800 meters vertical depth, which is some 330 meters below the current resources. Uh, drilling highlight there. 2.8 meters grading about say 57 grams per ton of gold. Um, also in Quebec, Troilus has extended the southwest zone um, on its Troilus Gold project by more than 25% to over one kilometer of stripe length. Uh, drilling highlights there, nine meters grading 3.6 grams per ton gold equivalent. Um, but in uh, not just in Canada, in, in Latin America, closer to where I am, um, Calibre Mining um, announced a pre-feasibility study for its Pavon Open Gold Mine, uh, which will produce about 47,000 ounces a year for an initial four years uh, by trucking ore to its, the company's central Libertad mill under its hub-and-spoke methodology. That seems to be working out really well for the company. Um, and in the words of uh, present, new president and CEO Darren Hall, um, the ability to, to make the hub-and-spoke work enables it to take advantage of what were formerly orphaned ore bodies. Things that were interesting, but not interesting enough to have their own mill and plant developed. But um, they, they can truck, I think they can truck up to about 400 kilometers um, economically. And also in Nicaragua, uh, Condor Gold is to buy a new semi-autogenous mill, a SAG mill, for its La India Gold project from First Majestic Silver, uh, a brand new mill that hasn't been used. For just 6.5 million dollars and that will give it a, a throughput of up to 2,300 tons per day and enable the company to produce uh, up to 100,000 ounces a year of gold. Thank you Paul for those headlines. Now let's turn to our number of the week. Uh, Phil as our guest you get to go first. Uh, well I, I'm probably going to break the rules. I have two numbers. A very small number and a very large number. The small number is 25, and tw what 25 represents to me is the price of silver um, where we pay a silver-linked dividend. So, so it start, it's triggered at 25, and when it goes, the price of silver goes to 30, it goes up, it doubles, and then doubles again at 35. So that's first number. The big number is 3 billion, and that's the um, number of pounds of copper that we have in our Rock Creek, Montanor projects in Montana that we would expect to see in production in 2030. Wow. It's also 330 million ounces of silver. So I, I, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask actually, you know, that. talking about dividends, I mean, do you think this is how important is this to, to, to give dividends in this marketplace? I mean, we see so much, um, uh, see so much competition for investor capital. Um, can you, you know, is it, is it better value to give back to your shareholders? 
Is it better to put it in the ground? What, where do you see this? Like all of the above, uh, we've been paying a dividend since 2010. Um, we've had this SilverLink program since 2011. And, uh, you know, we just think it's important to have that discipline of having a dividend that we do regularly and then to have a dividend that we give back to shareholders when prices are higher. And the, the way one, one of our shareholders described it to, to me, and so we've adopted that, is this idea that we're paying a return on the silver we produce. And, uh, you know, basically at $25, the return we're paying is almost 6%. Wow. Um, so it, it differentiates us to the ETF. It differentiates us to physical silver and, of course, to other silver miners. Sorry, Paul, I, your, your number this week. My number is 28.25 or 28.25%. And that is the average premium of the four M&A strategic investments that we covered this week. Wow. So things are you know, heating up again. Do you, do you think, are we, are we heading to overpriced? Like are, we, are we heading to the same mistakes that we saw in 2011 of, of overbuying? It wouldn't be a cycle if we didn't. <laughs> but it just feels we're so early in this cycle. We're just starting to enjoy profits. <laughs> Well, let's ask the CEO of a mining company. <laughs> that's why we made our acquisitions in 2013 and 2015. I suppose that's the other advantage of uh, giving out a dividend. It gives you less money to, to blow your brains out on overpriced transactions. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And, and uh, we, you know, we're fortunate in that we don't need to rely upon an acquisition to maintain value or you know create create value we can do it with the assets we have but i think um, you know joking aside I, I think there's a very real possibility that premiums are only going to get bigger i mean phil mentioned there aren't a lot of quality projects out there a lot of companies pipelines are, are running pretty thin so the, the just the existential threat of continuing to survive means at some point somebody's going to have to start right. paying you know it's going to become a, a seller's market and um, companies are going to have to you know break out the checkbook organize the um, the finance, etc. You know, it is going to happen. Wow! Yeah, but you know, when people do that, of course, they t they end up taking big. You know, you said blow their brains out. They take these big impairments, you know, and lose destroy a lot of value. We we we've been fortunate in that with the acquisitions we've made, we've we've not had an impairment in twenty years. Yeah. I mean, there's doing it and there's doing it right or doing it at a good time. Yeah. But I guess with everybody chasing, you know, sort of the, these limited assets, I mean, it's like, like property values in Canada. Um, they just, you know, it just overheats and overheats and overheats. Um, so my number of the week, I figured uh, I tried to find something with silver. Uh, this actually came out from a report from the Silver Institute last month. Um, so you look at EV, uh, so electric vehicle demand. You look at green energy demand and... Um, uh, 5G network demand, uh, put all of this together and silver that that's supposed to, uh, boost silver demand to 125 million ounces in 10 years. So it's, I think, I think you're right. Phil. I think, you know, just demand for this metal is just, is going to go higher as we see, uh, new technologies, uh, evolve. 
Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, the most conductive, most reflective metal. Um, there, there's nothing quite like it. Um, like I said, the tech. <laughs> It, it it's 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 becoming that it's it is it's 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 incredible how you know and fabrication demand makes up fifty uh, percent of the markets. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's six six hundred million ounces is uh, is that fabrication industrial techno demand for uh, for the metal. Wow. That's our show for this week. Uh, wanted to thank uh, Phil for his thoughts. Uh, it was fantastic discussion on you know sort of the gold and silver and 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 you know the, the relationships between the two and and your thoughts on the mining sector thank you very much for joining us today thanks for for having me i really enjoyed it and if you want to reach out to us you can reach out to uh, on twitter uh, it's at michael mccray myself i am at uh, neils underscore c and paul you are at um sorry what's your twitter handle paul he- P. Harris 1313. P. Harris 1313. Phil, how can people get a hold of you at Hecla? Um, just reach out uh, through our website. Uh, e- easy to reach us. Perfect. Um, and finally, uh, what kind of news can we expect from Hecla uh, f- for the rest of this year? Yeah, the advancement of what we're doing at the Lucky Friday, the, this tr- trying these new mining methods. And really, the exploration that we're doing this uh, this major exploration uh, programs that we have uh, among sort of five different properties. So stay tuned for both of those. And uh, just adding into that, um, Heckler's on Twitter as well. Its tag is at Heckler Mining. Okay. Uh, so that's our show. Uh, if you like what if you like what you hear, uh, tell your friends, and you can subscribe to you. Uh, you can subscribe to us wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. Thank you very much for uh, for listening to us uh, today and have a great weekend.